Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Korean cinema in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? What is this? As a culture, um, people in the United States kind of, um, I don't know, we watch a lot of movies as evidenced by the fact that in 99% of the cases, domestic box office for movies made in Hollywood is bigger than like foreign box office. Uh, But even I'm like guilty of this. Like we talk about all these like American made movies, American uh, English language movies all the time. So today's episode is going to be a little different than that. Uh, we're going to talk about Korean films, uh, South Korean films. Uh, and I've brought along a friend of mine to help me do that. Uh, Adam. Hi. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, glad you could do this. I uh, appreciate it a lot. And I'm excited to dive into Korean film with you. Yeah. And I will preface this by saying I am by no means, an expert uh when it comes to korean film but uh i will having said that um i definitely have uh have found myself gravitating towards uh trying to scout out korean films as much as i can because they kind of satisfy a a very particular uh uh, niche in terms of you know my movie going taste so um i've sort of spent more time watching those uh, uh than trying to find a a a little-known American movie on Netflix or or Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I I kind of feel the same way. I'm. I, I guess we'll kind of get into it in a bit as far as like how big of a of, of an exposure we've each had to the to that market. But um, yeah, I've been generally generally just really impressed by. Just like all of, <laughs> almost every movie I've I've watched that's come out of that country, uh, very very much so. In fact, yeah, I think one of the things that I I think really kind of uh, caught me by I shouldn't say surprise, um, but uh, was it felt like at least the Korean movies that were uh, being being made generally available for the U.S public the production values uh, tend to be reliably very high mm-hmm. um, you know both from a, you know a technical perspective uh, but just in terms of sort of a, as a, a tight movie overall you know you often will you go see a movie uh, in the US you know US based movie and there will be aspects of it you like but ones where you can tell they definitely didn't pay attention and a lot of the Korean movies that I've watched I definitely find t- are the complete package if you, if you will Yes, that that's yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, you know, there's definitely not as much money being put into Korean filmmaking as there is in Hollywood by any stretch. I'm guessing, but you wouldn't know it looking at the movies. They all look so kind of immaculately conceived that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So okay. So my first question. Um, so for me, the first Korean movie that I saw or that I was aware that I had seen um, was Old Boy. <laughs> me too. All right, perfect. Uh, so we both had the same sort of launching <laughs> off point. 
I saw it, I think, either first or second year that I was in, in college. And it it's it's totally unlike anything I had seen ever before. Yeah, just mm-hmm. such a new outlook, new, not outlook, new, new approach to like telling a story and like what that story could have in it kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I think, uh, it was one of those movies. So I, you know, had heard about it in terms of, uh, reading online. Um, you know, uh, this is, uh, I can't remember how far back pre Reddit days anyway. <laughs> um, and, uh, had, uh, had heard it, uh, seen it recommended, uh, and, you know, I thought, well, that sounds pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, fortunately, none of the recommendations kind of uh, got into the particulars other than, you know, man's been cooped up in prison for reasons unknown for, mm-hmm. you know, a certain number of years and then, you know, exacts his revenge. Um, but uh, the journey that it takes you on and how it ends is just a complete, you know, mind blower in that regard. Oh, yeah. And I'm I'm trying trying to be non spoilery here for anybody who uh, who hasn't watched it um, uh, because you know I, I couldn't possibly do it uh, do it justice in that regard. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it just the uh, uh, the story um, really kind of caught me off guard, and I think that was you know a good a good entryway in terms of you know the Korean movies that I've seen overall. Um, they tend to uh, follow. Uh, a similar pattern. I mean, not, I, I'm being a little more broadly general here, but a lot of the ones that I like in particular, uh, they tend to be very dark. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, protagonist uh, is flawed um, and uh, goes through a particularly raw journey throughout. Um, and you know, each time they kind of always catch me by surprise. And I think, you know, it's a little tough starting with old boy because it's one of the best, uh, out there, but Mm -hmm. on the same token, if you like what you see in there, you've got a lot of additional options to kind of satisfy that, uh, that itch. Right. Um, like I think it's, uh, I, I was just talking, um, to somebody else about old boy came up uh, and one of the things I think about is that you get this sort of lack of exposure to pretty much all the movies, any of the movies we talk about that came out that were made in South Korea, like no, with the exception of Old Boy, probably like so many of them are just not in the vernacular of the average moviegoer in the United States. And even people who are very well versed, like movie critics and stuff there's still a good chance that they haven't seen an old boy or, you know, a handful of the other movies that'll come up. Um, and that's, that's kind of why I think that their movies are able to continue to do things that I think American cinema has only just started to do in the last couple of years with, as you kind of said, flawed protagonist that really gets put through the ringer and uh, with a few exceptions going back in time, that's not really the the sort of um, that's not exactly the the structure of, of of Hollywood movies at all. Yeah, very much so. I think um, as uh, you know, I was getting ready for uh, for talking with you. I was uh, going through my head <laughs> in terms of you know what what are the the American movies that maybe uh, you know might 
uh, have the closest sort of parallel. Uh, and I'm sure there are plenty that I'm not thinking of right now. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, there was one, oh God, and now of course the name's escaping me. Hopefully you'll remember this one for me. One that Michael Mann directed. Uh, um, uh, uh, Live and Die in L.A. Um, and it's uh, William Peterson, better known uh, from his CSI days. Um, <laughs> but uh, he plays a... Uh, plays a, a cop in it uh, who is, you know, not a good person <laughs> by right. any stretch of the imagination uh, and is, you know, trying to, to chase down the, the big bad uh, throughout it. Um, and I will get spoilery on this one because live and die in L.A. has been out long enough. Um, about three quarters of the way <laughs> through the movie, he gets his head blown off by a shotgun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's the, that sort of a willingness to uh, really not preserve your protagonist as either you know the the ideal that you emulate yourself after, but also to not give him a happy ending necessarily or her a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think these Korean movies do especially well. You know, they make it clear very uh, early and often that this person that you're following uh, is not uh, a paragon of virtue. Um, <laughs> And uh, and then they just sort of heap on the the additional crap on top of it uh, as it goes along. And it, it's I don't know. It, 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 there's something about that that uh, it's not only that because very often that might be your twist in maybe an independent movie where it's like ah oh, this is a bad guy, you know, right? It, you know, like bad lieutenant style. <laughs> and it's kind of all about that. That's not really the case here. You're following somebody who's very flawed, but you're actually watching a fully real realized action movie or fully realized crime thriller or what have you um so it just happens to be a part of it as opposed to being the central conceit um and right. it, uh, it just seems to be done effectively again and again yeah i i it's sort of that situation where like i keep you know there are a couple of um specific directors and and whatnot from from korea that like i've you know, gone deeper into their filmographies after finding one or maybe two movies I liked. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's going to feel like the same, or I'm going to like see the twist coming this time, or like knowing that there's likely going to be that sort of a shift or, or knowing that the characters are likely going to be kind of dirty and not clean as, as you, you could say, you know, I feel like it shouldn't always work. And, to their credit, like, I mean, I'm sure, like, we're both probably missing whatever movies come out in Korea that are kind of the bottom of the barrel necessarily, but, <laughs> you know, there's still plenty of them that just keep surprising me, like, man, like, better than the last one, better than the last one, like, completely changing, you know, somehow managing to bring something entirely new to that very similar formula that they all kind of follow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would agree. And the other thing that you know, again, in in preparing for uh, for our talk, uh, that really uh, I've noticed too is that many of these movies that uh, that we're referring to, uh, they are written and directed by the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I hate to overuse the word auteur, but you know, <laughs> it is very much the realization of a singular vision in, in that regard. Um, and so uh, you got folks like Park Chan Wook, uh, mm-hmm. who's certainly you know very well known, and Bong Joon Ho, uh, who, who had done uh, the host, 
and Snowpiercer, those are, you know, two of the better known uh, movies that he's done, where it is, you know, this very kind of uh, fully uh, realized uh, vision that they have for this movie. Um, and it, I, I do wonder if that contributes uh, to, to a lot of it, too, where, you know, maybe unlike maybe the Hollywood system, you don't have as many different voices that are kind of at play uh, informing uh, the work throughout. Um, and that allows you to go places that maybe you might not normally be able to because of concerns of or commercial success uh, and really kind of, you know, uh, uh, get to where you really wanted the story to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sort of um, kind of comparing, uh, I don't know if this is really a great comparison actually to make, but it's the first one that came to mind, but kind of looking at the Hollywood formula, is not exactly this, but far more in line with the way um, Feige o- <laughs> proceeds over all of the Marvel movies. <laughs> Whereas right. you don't exactly have a person like that for DC. You know, as much as they want those movies to be part of their sa- their own universe, they're still giving their directors plenty of leeway to do almost whatever they want. Um, now it hasn't really worked out for DC, but uh, apparently, <laughs> with with the right people at the helm. Uh, you really can get a lot of fantastic films that way, uh, as Korean filmmaking has shown us. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, it's certainly a lot of the the movies that uh, I've watched have tended to be, uh, as I sort of alluded to before, uh, more action crime thriller oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, the the breadth of the Korean film industry certainly goes uh, much broader than that. Uh, I will admit to have sort of focused on <laughs> certain <laughs> movies that uh, appeal to me uh, a little bit more. Um, but, you know, I, uh, I referenced uh, Bong Joon-ho earlier where, you know, those are uh, not necessarily all focused on crime uh, and thrillers in the same way, although, you know, a couple of his earlier movies, Memories of Murder and Mother, uh, very much so. But you know, his more recent movies, uh, Snowpiercer, obviously, uh, adaptation of a, of a graphic novel, but, you know, that dystopic future uh, future vision story. Mm-hmm. And then Okja, uh, which, again, dystopic in its own way, although more from a, uh, an environmental standpoint. Right. Um, but, you know, there is still, despite, you know, the 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 genre um there's still this very kind of overall i don't want to say bleakness but there's a grimness that i i see in a lot of uh, korean movies generally speaking uh that uh, informs it and i'm i'm you know i haven't spent as much time as probably i, I should have trying to understand uh why it is that way um you know i don't know if it's living in the shadow of north korea and never knowing what tomorrow might bring or what yeah maybe Yeah, uh, that's a that's a good point. That's there's the I can't even like begin to fathom you know that sort of a situation living with someone living the, so close to such an unstable regime and, and trying to like uh, um, right express that emotion and that feeling through music or art or or film in this case. Uh, there's there's so many different ways, uh, you know. And uh, to the, to your point, like 
I can't. I of I, I have like the list here of every movie I've seen from Korea, and I wouldn't consider any of them to be like feel good movies. You know, <laughs> like, they're all like. You know, sure. maybe maybe our main characters in a little bit of a better position at the end than at the beginning, but what they had to endure to get there is is not exactly where you want to go, either. No, no, not by not by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I think because of that, again, they they really get to uh, to play with finding interesting shades. Uh, or the protagonist, um, and uh, and you know, to your point, it, it always seems they seemingly always find a way of, of making it fresh, and you know, uh, finding these uh, other you know flaws about them, uh, or even you know when they are virtuous, maybe they just kind of make a, a critical mistake somewhere along the line uh, mm-hmm. that sort of uh, poisons uh, a lot of uh, of what else happens. <clears throat> Right. Um, so we mentioned Old Boy uh, as kind of the movie that uh, mm-hmm. got us both into our, our affection and, and love for Korean cinema. Uh, and you've you've mentioned a couple of others uh, since then, including Snowpiercer, which is uh, with probably maybe the exception of Okja, the most recognizable Korean-made film to make it to the States. Right. Uh, simply because it's pretty much all in English, so that helps. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, so some so for me the probably the one I've probably most talked about on this show in the past is definitely The Handmaiden. Uh, it's actually my favorite movie from uh. 2016. You know, I I got to see it in the theater around here, which was surprising and really really uh, appreciative of. Uh, at the time so i don't have, have you seen the handmaiden the handmaiden is uh so i'm a big fan of uh of park chan books uh films and mm-hmm. that is one that i have gotten on dvd three times and oh, have yes. had to return the dvd three times before i've had a chance to watch it so oh, no it is uh it's sort of like my white whale yeah. uh, from uh <laughs> from his Obra. Um, so eventually I'll get there. Um, okay. But I did, after watching Old Boy, uh, you know, I made a point of, of going back and, you know, trying to uh, see as many of, uh, of his movies uh, as I could get my hands on at the time. So, you know, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Lady yes. Vengeance, Thirst. Um, haven't seen them all, certainly. Uh, sure. But, you know, I, I think that's one of the great things about. Uh, you know, when I initially first started watching the Korean movies, is there was just a catalog from which to draw, and there were mm. so many good movies, and I was like, "Oh my god, I have hit the motherload!" Yeah. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, it's, you know, when you're movie fans, as both you and I are, um, it's uh, it, it's often it can feel hard to be surprised uh, by you know the the typical movie that comes out. Um, so to suddenly have this sort of whole new uh, particular niche to explore um i i think was uh it was really uh joyful uh in those early days now you know i'm a little bit more picky in terms of you know i've watched enough other korean movies where i'm like well that was okay i guess so right. the shine is off in terms of not just automatically assuming everything's really good yes um but yeah the, going 
back to what you asked, uh, The Handmaiden is the one that uh, eventually I will do it, hopefully, before my deathbed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you have plenty of time. Um. <laughs> so you said that uh, it's your favorite uh, of, uh, of his particular movies. Uh, what what about that one, and your favorite of 2016, no less, what yes. about that one sets it apart uh, from uh, some of his other work? So, uh, as a big fan of Christopher Nolan, I, I'm a, I love playing with time in movies, and uh, mm-hmm. certainly Old Boy does that a little bit, not not nearly to the extent that like Nolan has ever done it, but just using Old Boy as the example, you know, it, it plays with your expectations of who characters are by... Um, uh, adjusting where you think they are in each situation and, and revealing later on, like, oh, no, wait, this is what's actually been happening the whole time, and it's all been, like, a, a deceitful way of me trying to tell this story. Uh, Handmaiden is the is what I would expect Park Chan-wook's Christopher Nolan movie to be. It's segmented into three mm. distinct parts, and uh, the first... I'm trying to remember the first and at least the first two parts take place during the exact same period of time and are told from two, the two different characters perspectives. So you get like, you go through the first segment and you're like, and you get to the end and it drops you on this cliffhanger where you think, you know where the movie's going. And then all of a sudden you're back at the beginning again. And now everything you thought you knew was not at all how it seemed. And you run through the second segment but then you get to the end of the second segment and all of a sudden everything has to once again be rewound and again your expectations are being changed and all of a sudden it's a completely different movie the third time which uh, Mm. is really you know that's sort of a a structural format that I at the time at least had not seen in Korean films Uh, and even since then I've only seen it done or, or something close to that done once at all and it really Mm -hmm. gives you this added layer on top of uh just you know like we said like kind of flawed characters who do questionably uh moral things (laughs) and uh to say the least and you get some pretty fantastic characters because you get to see them from their perspective and from all the people that they interact with perspectives. So you get this multifaceted uh, look at them and you're like, well, look from their perspective, they were in the right or from somebody else's perspective, you know, they did this horrible atrocity and so forth and so forth. So uh, for that, you know, again, trying to not (laughs) spoil too much of it at all, but it it really just kind of struck a, the perfect, perfect uh, chord with me um, when I got to see it. Mm-hmm. Well, see, now you just made me want to see it even more. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I hope when you finally get around to it, you really enjoy it. So the last uh, last movie of his that I had seen was uh, his previous uh, release, which was Stoker, which was his, uh, as far as I know, his only English language release. Um, yes. And uh, I think what was interesting there is i liked it um but it it didn't quite i mean it still very very much had the you know sort of uh, questionable morality uh for Mm -hmm. uh, multiple characters in it um but it sort of 
I don't know if it was, uh, you know, a victim of just sort of expectations, um, but it didn't quite seem to fit as uh, as well uh, as sort of the native language Korean ones. You know, I, I think, you know, uh, I'm going to butcher her name. Mio was... Uh, uh, was her last name. Was Kowska. I'm sure I've got that all wrong. But, it's, you know, <laughs> Nicole Goodman, I think Matthew Goody, they all do a phenomenal job. They're all, you know... Uh, very uh, almost creepy, if you will, um, and you know where uh, anybody's sort of final morality will will land is in question mm-hmm. the whole time. But in terms of an overall uh, representation of you know the, the rest of uh, of his work, um, it's you know spiritually similar, but maybe not quite uh, you know a par with I think uh, the rest of his output. Yeah, do you think that that has to do with the fact that it was like, I mean, you you mentioned, you know, being an English language, but, um, you know, I would say, you know, to kind of compare that to um, uh, Bong Joon-ho's Snowpiercer or Okja, you know, he was capable of, like, making those movies and using English without it, as far as I'm concerned, really detracting from, like, his, his style, his, his way of making, his filmmaking style. Do you think that beyond just the English language, the fact that Stoker was like an American-made movie as opposed to a Korean-produced movie uh, was part of that too? Yeah, I I am curious. You know, in terms of trying to uh, convey his uh, his vision, you know, to you know what uh, was at least an English-speaking. Uh, uh, you know, group of, you know, not just actors, but I imagine production crew as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how much of that, uh, how is it to, to maintain that uh, to your point, uh, with Snowpiercer and, uh, and Okja, um, you know, I, I agree that those translated, uh, maybe more, uh, truthfully as far as representations of, uh, of Bong Joon-ho's style. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, it, I, Stoker almost, uh, and not just because the actors in it are, are mostly English, but it did almost feel, and they're not playing English in the movie, but it did almost feel like a, a, a much more sort of uh, English independent film uh, style right. uh, in comparison. So, um, so yeah, it, it, I have to imagine, especially it being his, his first one, you know, how much is he dependent on uh, the people he's working with at whatever the, the producers, the, the studio uh, who's, doing the distribution you know how much does he kind of have to lean on them uh, a bit more you know or were they pretty hands-off and you know maybe it's just uh i'm putting more on him than uh, than i should in in that regard um but uh, i do i do kind of always wonder you know for directors uh, uh from any foreign country who had uh you know great and sort of notable success uh translating that uh back into uh, the uh, the U.S. sort of style uh, or American style of uh, films, even from an independent standpoint, you know how how difficult is it to adapt at that point? Um, so yeah, um, you know, again, I still like Stoker a lot, but it just uh, kind of didn't have quite that same depth um, that uh, I've come to expect. But it certainly sounds like the Handmaiden is is much more uh, in his wheelhouse in that regard. Yeah, it's looking at his like list of movies um between like the only things he worked on between Stoker and Handmaiden in that 3 years was 
like I think like a short couple of short films maybe um or definitely things that didn't really yep. get off the ground uh as far as popularity is concerned uh so I think that's kind of an interesting I don't know it, it almost feels and you know we'll see what his next movie he makes is and where he makes it and who he makes it with but at the moment I kind of get I kind of get the feeling that maybe he wasn't super pleased with, you know, the way the process worked coming over here and working mm-hmm. with Americans on it at all. And then he hightailed it away and made the handmaiden. <laughs> <laughs> that could maybe. be. Yeah. I don't know. So we've talked a, a decent amount here about, uh, Park Chan-wook and Bong Joon-ho, uh, largely because they're probably the, the two best known. Yes. Um, any other particular uh, directors or movies that have stood out for you? Yeah, so um, I would. So I have a couple other directors here that I pulled up. Um, one of them is Kim Ji Woon, uh, mm-hmm. who is the director of, as far as American audiences would be aware, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie The Last Stand. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I think uh, it's got Johnny Knoxville in that one as well. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> however, the Korean films that I've seen of his that I, I very, very much enjoyed are I Saw the Devil, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, more recently, I got a chance to see The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, both of those are, are very good. It, for whatever reason, my memory on Good, the Bad, and the Weird is uh, a little hazier than it should be, considering how kind of unique that one is. Um, you know, that almost has uh, uh, some spiritual similarities with some Hong Kong movies uh, mm-hmm. that I've seen. Um, but to your point about I Saw the Devil, I think that was probably the one that, uh, in terms of just, you know, how... Uh, while it is graphic and gruesome, uh, sort of the rawness associated with it, um, you know, your protagonist, you know, the way he, he treats uh, the antagonist in particular, um, you know, it's uh, he's not a good guy, even though he's the good guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but it's it, it sort of, uh, you know, comp- you could almost uh, compare... I saw the devil in terms of its brutality. Um, it, it's uh, to sort of how hostile made uh, torture porn movies uh, really, really popular. Um, yeah, it is not a torture movie by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but the awful things that happen to people in it sure feel that way. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think. You know, like, people use the term, like, violence for violence sake, which I wouldn't necessarily ascribe to I Saw the Devil, but I would say that that's mm-hmm. how the characters view it sometimes, which is what gives it that kind of, uh, like, this is really egregious, this is <laughs> really over the top, but the movie's able to kind of, I don't know, somehow just kind of restrain it just enough so that you feel like, okay, all right, <laughs> if you must, you know. <laughs> Uh, I can see why you do that. <laughs> yeah, like you, you, you know, you back, uh, you know, you back a wild animal far enough into the corner, and I saw the devil is kind of the result. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was uh, definitely uh, another one of the the directors uh, that uh, stood out uh, for me um, in terms of uh, in you know the, I saw the devil in particular. Um, mm-hmm. There's also a couple of uh, historic um, uh, historical epics that. Uh, uh, I've seen um, one of which is uh, the Admiral uh, Roaring Credit uh, Roaring Currents rather, um, and another one uh, uh, Assassination. So there, uh, Roaring Currents uh, takes place you know, very far away. It's this you know uh, sweeping naval uh, battle story, um, okay. and then Assassination is sort of uh, more of a uh, like a spy uh, movie. Uh, set back uh during uh, the japanese occupation um and i think uh, what i appreciated about both of those movies is you know having we've already kind of extolled the virtues of uh, of some of the other movies that we talked about um the those great production values that i was talking about uh before here are sort of almost it's more of a straightforward uh you know movie you know it's not not the same sort of flawed characters uh, that we were talking about in the other ones, um, but all that great production value uh, brought to bear on a story where I have no historical context for for Korean history. In all honesty, I am not a, a great student of history, um, but executed in you know such a such a well done way that in both instances I you know was really compelled and uh, you know couldn't uh, couldn't get enough. Awesome. Yeah, you you mentioned just other formats of of these kinds of movies, and you know, I the probably the first example I would point to would be um, um, Bong Joon Ho's The Host, which is a horror movie, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like that. Good use of the question. Yeah, you know, it's like a horror <laughs> sci-fi movie, um, but like you know, it, it's it's so unlike what anything you would see on our side of the ocean and all, all mm-hmm. to, to the great benefit of the film itself. And I, I love, I, I really enjoy being able to see, you know, and not just Korean, but any kind of foreign countries take on a genre that I've seen hundreds of times over here. You know, I'm mm-hmm. just because like if, if they, they're able to kind of, reorganize and and restructure a dramatic thriller so many times and and make it so fascinating and and feel so fresh and new you know what can they do to uh like something a little more genre specific like sci-fi with snowpiercer or horror with the host and Mm -hmm. uh i i remember reading an article many years ago now about the host and how much it kind of laughs in the face of all horror tropes that that you kind of mm-hmm. expect like keeping the monster hidden until the end of the movie like 20 minutes in we <laughs> see it run through like a park <laughs> in like, broad street, daylight yeah. you know which is <laughs> funny but also like it, it's such a uh, um a deviation from from typical horror films that it, it kind of demands that you kind of sit up and pay more attention to it yeah, yeah. There's a a couple aspects to uh, uh, the host um, 
in particular uh, that, you know, sort of really kind of flipping expectations uh, on its head uh, that I remember watching it uh, the first time. Um, the There is a, a kind of a common through line when it comes to comedy in Korean movies where it's not quite slapstick, uh, but is often played sort of uh, broad and over-exaggerated. That mm-hmm. I remember in watching the host uh, the first time, I was like, well, that's weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it, it just, it kind of caught me off guard. But as I, you know, have watched more and more movies, uh, it's kind of a, a long tradition uh, where, you know, the characters, and this happens frequently in, in a lot of these movies, even these thrillers these stark thrillers that we've been talking about there is very often uh you know characters who are played for very clear comedic effect um you know often you know the very uh, broad buffoon uh, uh character um and i, I just remember that really kind of catching me off guard uh, uh where you know the movie is trying to do something very different but it always seems to find a place for that um the goofy character uh, to be in it now it you know and subsequently watching the host and you know uh, it, it makes perfect sense in the uh, in the overall context of, of that particular one mm-hmm. um so you know that's one of those things where you know the the difference uh between sort of how the koreans approach uh, movie making and americans but that leads to the second point that i wanted to mention is that you know, South Korea being, you know, a very sort of Western uh, nation, there's a lot that is instantly recognizable uh, and, you know, relatable. Um, but on the same token, uh, it is a very different country. Um, and there are, you know, uh, as seen in the, in a few different movies, I watched The Wailing not too long ago. Um, mm-hmm. And this is uh, really kind of uh, brought out in that particular one, where you've got people who are living, you know, in very you know not dire conditions but um you know living very simple uh country life minimal power whatnot right next to a very big well-developed city um and so there is this almost uh you know not uh mean i don't mean this in a, in a negative way but an alienness almost to hey this is a society that i feel like i can identify with but the and suddenly there's something that is very different about it too. Um, and it's, you know, it's a great educational thing, I guess, for me in terms of, you know, it gives them a whole lot of other things to play with in terms of, you know, how, uh, how the society is different and kind of different angles that they can take uh, on things. Um, that's, uh, I've certainly, uh, I've noticed the more movies that I watch. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. Like there's so many, I don't know, like, it's it's very easy when you see a movie made in, like, Europe or Hollywood. Um, you know, if it's a period piece, uh, it's easy, instantly recognizable. You can tell from the very beginning that it's, you know, this was, this took place hundreds of years ago. You know, there's no cell phones, there's no electronics, there's no TV, there's no this. You know, maybe they're riding on horses, maybe there's no cars or whatever. But uh, a lot of the times, um, you know, you mentioned the whaling. I think... There are parts in in a lot of movies, uh, particularly Korean movies, where I could watch half of it and really still not know if it's supposed to be contemporary, if it's supposed to you know be fifty years from, from ago, fifty years from now, uh, just because one, I, I really don't have that sort of 
knowledge base for for Korean history and, and where they have been and where they're headed. But the film, but like even current times, it feels like uh, far more so than American films do. They really try to use every single uh, type of town, type of setting that their country has mm-hmm. to offer. And as you know, I, yep. I've, I'm not someone who's traveled around the United States that much, but I've seen plenty of locations in the United States that I've never seen represented in film from America. Right. And, you know, right. like there's, there's that added element of like, you're not using all the tools in the toolbox kind of a thing that I feel like is happening here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even so much that, you know, they're looking to make a statement about it, but it right. does feel to your point, like a, a more honest representation of uh, who they are as a, as a country and as a culture. Um, mm-hmm than sort of maybe the uh, often over-idealized uh, version of, of the U.S. that uh, often makes its way into a lot of mainstream movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, we get... I, I don't even know, like... I, I can't possibly know what the number was, but I would hazard a guess that 50% of contemporary set American-made movies take place in, like, New York or California or that's it maybe i don't even know like that might be accurate um (laughs) and like even within new york and california there are plenty of places that don't look like the new york and california that we see in the movies you know thinking of movies that came out last year that i think sort of bucked that trend like the florida project i think did a fantastic job of showing us Mm -hmm. a setting that really had never been shown in film before uh to a lesser degree like ladybird tried to do that a little bit um yeah mm-hmm. so like there's definitely evidence of of american filmmakers striking out a little bit but it is so so prevalent uh in in foreign cinema particularly korean cinema they they just i don't know like they they just have i don't know they like you said it's not that they're necessarily making a statement with it but they're just using what's around them and it just happens to be very yeah. good sort of fodder for making movies yeah. Um, so uh, we were just talking about the whaling, which, you know, I think that was a, a good example uh, of the, that, um, you know, the main character in that he's uh, works for the police. He's, you know, got a very current job, but, you know, where his family lives, it's, you know, a very sort of uh, simple rudimentary existence um, of that particular uh, director's movies. Uh, that's Na Hong Jin, as I understand. Um it was, however, uh, perhaps my least favorite of his particular movies. The two ones I'd seen prior to that uh, were The Yellow Sea and uh, The Chaser. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think The Wailing was probably the first one, uh, because one other thing with many Korean movies, not all, um, but they do tend to be fairly long. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think The Wailing was probably the first one where I was like, this feels like it's probably about a half hour too long. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's uh, um, I, I haven't seen the Chaser or the LOC. This is the only uh, Na Hong Jin movie, which, according to Letterboxd, he's only yeah. the, those are the only other two movies. Uh, I think feature length <laughs> movies that, <laughs> that he's made. <laughs> um, so, but you know, I, I also I, I was kind of lukewarm on the whaling, particularly with the length of it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, if if the Chaser and the LC are better, then you know there's I'm in. Like, I don't know. I, you yeah, know, it's it's tough because uh, even like the worst Korean movies I've seen, not that the Wailing is necessarily the worst one, but it's on the lower lower side for me. It's still a very competently made, you know, intriguing movie in its own right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, very much so. It's just, you know, it perhaps was maybe the, uh, the I don't want to say the first one that kind of took some of the shine <laughs> off, but, uh, you know, started to get me to be a little more choosy, uh, perhaps. Sure. But I, that may have also been because I did enjoy Chaser uh, quite a bit. I think, you know, that's uh, going back to the, the, the darker thrillers, um, you know, really good uh, example of that one. Um, and then the Yellow Sea, I will warn you now, it is not the feel-good family hit of the year by any <laughs> stretch of the imagination. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, just a really, really great uh, story of, of one particular uh, man's sort of journey. Um, and, you know, again, I don't have a lot of context for, uh, Korean, uh, history, but you can tell that they're really sort of, uh, playing on, uh, their proximity to North Korea and and China and whatnot really kind of comes in there. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I found it, uh, very educational in many respects. And, and again, sort of this, it's a a depiction of a society that I have no real kind of, uh, direct connection to living the the cushy life of the in the u.s that i do um right. so it was uh it just insightful um in uh, in that regard too yeah um awesome uh so another director uh from from south korea that we haven't touched on yet i've only seen one movie from them but he has he has a very big catalog and uh, i was turned on to him by uh uh, a friend, a friend of mine on Twitter, a previous guest on the show, uh, Cody Clark, which is uh, Kim Ki Duke. If you familiar, mm. Mm. Uh, so uh, doesn't uh, immediately come to mind. Which I feel like I've completely uh, got a black hole here in my <laughs> in my viewing. His his most. I think I, the movie, the one, the movie of his that I watched is probably the most um, widely known, recognizable one, which is Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring, mm-hmm. uh, which okay. I thought yep. was fantastic. Uh, but I think the other movie of his that gets a lot of attention is Three Iron. Uh, that is, those are the two that I'd, I'd heard about uh, prior to having seen them, and uh, kind of going off the point of you know they can do far more than just dramatic thrillers spring summer fall winter and spring isn't that at all it is it is far more what we would probably consider a a tone poem than like anything else Mm. uh it's um you know it's broken up into the five pieces spring summer fall winter spring again and it's 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 incredibly slow it it, it's a the the slowest of burns really and that being said it's like not it's under two hours long so you know it's Mm. really condensed (laughs) somehow it's it's a really condensely packed slow burn which is oxymoronic Mm -hmm. in and of itself but uh it's it's a film that really showcases kind of what the art house variation of korean cinema looks like 
you know, it, it, and it's a, as far as I'm aware, the movie takes place in like contemporary, uh, uh, times, you know, it came out in 2003. So 15 years ago, contemporary, but Mm -hmm. I would say the vast majority of it takes place on this secluded little lake lake in with like two, maybe three people on the screen ever at one at once, you know, there's no technology, you know, it's, it's very, very rudimentary. Right. And if you didn't like, there's, I think maybe one or two scenes where they actually go to an actual bustling city sort of situation. And if you didn't have those, who knows when this movie takes place, you know, like right. it could be a timeless years feel. Ago. Yeah. But that's kind of, I don't know. That's also kind of, it's, it's sort of, um, not hook, but, um, I don't know. Je ne sais quoi, uh, yeah, thing so, that it has sets it apart. Yeah, so uh, that is uh, one of those movies where you know whatever I'm sort of decided my, uh, upon. Oh, I'm going to watch a Korean movie. That is one uh, that is always at the top of the list of. Oh, I should watch this one. Oh, but this one looks a lot more fun. So I'm going to watch that one instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it, the, I, the description of of the movie is not. It isn't really one that's going to pull you in, to be fair. Um, but it, it's it's far more enjoyable that the, than the synopsis may lead you to believe. I'll say. <laughs> All right, duly noted. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, probably the last time I'm thinking about uh, watching this, I probably ended up watching Train to Busan instead. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, that's that's a good way to transition to Train to Busan, which is very very mainstream. For a Korean movie, you know, yes, it it caps, capitalizes on like the zombie horror phase that we've had for for a while with Walking Dead and so forth, and yet you know, coming at the tail end of it after we've had you know a couple of dozen of them made in Hollywood, it still feels like really interesting, really fresh, really distinct from all the ones that have been made on over here. Yeah, well, and I think for that one in particular. Um, you know, zombie. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of zombie movies myself. But so often uh, in horror movies in the U.S., you know, so much of it is kind of predicated on okay, how are these people going to die, and right. what gory way are we going to show that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, while that happens in Train to Busan, the movie is about a father's relationship with his daughter and trying to keep her safe mm-hmm. um and you know yes uh, in many other zombie movies that is kind of the main motivation as well but i don't know it feels less like okay what's the motivation father protecting daughter okay great checklist that's not <laughs> yeah. what it feels like in train to busan that's sort of they built the relationship up enough so that when you know everything starts going south um you're much more invested in characters and then even the characters that you meet along the way are uh, more richly kind of uh, drawn out so that you know the as things uh, start getting worse and worse um uh, it's uh, i don't know it just it seems to to mean more i think to your point it is uh, much more mainstream in, in that regard um mm-hmm. but just uh you know effectively told um, and, you know, still uh, not necessarily, you know, doesn't end the happiest way, um, but right. it makes the ending makes total sense sort of uh, <laughs> in terms of how it led up to that point. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the director of Train to Busan, uh, Yeon Sang-ho. I'm sure we're doing a great job with these names. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, is, uh, you know, he, he just put out another movie this year that I think is on Netflix called Psychokinesis, which is basically a Korean superhero movie, which is interesting in and of, <laughs> in and of itself as a just an experiment. And it also, it does the exact same thing that Train to Busan does. It grounds itself in this father-daughter relationship and focuses on that and then lets the superhero, superpower qualities of the film kind of emphasize and, and reinforce that relationship that it's already established by the time they're included. Yeah. And I do, I do wonder as, you know, uh, because obviously, you know, one of the great things about having services like Netflix and Amazon prime and, you know, many other, uh, niche ones out there is that there's a lot more exposure that people are able to get to these, you know, that's how I found a lot of them. Um, Mm -hmm. and I do always kind of wonder, you know, at what point, uh, uh, do, uh, do the, filmmaking styles that you see abroad in countries like Korea, you know, do they start informing what you see in the U S a little bit more? You know, there's a, a, a lot of uh, hand wringing often in foreign countries in terms of the negative effect that American filmmaking has had on, uh, on other countries where, you know, it's a, it, it's an export that audiences in foreign countries eat up, you know, and so much of the, of, Hollywood is predicated now on, you know, making their money overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do always wonder, you know, do we start seeing that kind of uh, come around the other way? You know, will U.S. audiences have more of a thirst for these more distinct kind of movies coming from uh, from other countries? Or is it always going to kind of have this, uh, this niche um, that plays sort of more art house and, you know, because... There is outlets like online streaming. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to make its way up to the uh, to the cineplexes per se. That's it's something that I, you know, I would love to see a more of an influence in that regard. But you know, with Hollywood making uh, all their money off of the Jurassic Worlds um, that come out seemingly every year, um, every month, <laughs> I find it probably fairly unlikely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I hope, you know, I really would love to see that influence take place. I think, um, you know, I think there have been a few times where I felt like there's been a good chance that it could happen. You know, I like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon uh, was a huge hit over here. And I would have loved to see it kind of linger and like kind of stay in the public eye a little longer and maybe influence more f- filmmaking on this side, uh, you know, and... and you know, any time really that a foreign language film is able to, I don't know, do better than like the average anything, uh, you know, if it makes a couple of million dollars here, that's that's a big deal for most foreign language films. Uh, is even you know even ones that are attached to huge names like Park Chan Wook or or so forth, uh, it's it's not easy, and so uh, mm-hmm. you know, Crouching Tiger was probably the closest we've ever come to having a foreign language best picture winner uh and you know or right. you know maybe the next runner up to that would be something like pan's labyrinth 
which had a fantastic... Or Amelie. Or Amelie, for sure. There have been so many fantastic foreign language films that hit at the right time, and they, they have such a big impact for a brief period of time, kind of like a... Not exactly a flash in the pan, definitely a little longer than that, but then we never really feel like there or at least I don't feel like there's a huge sort of ripple effect afterwards. It's not like, yeah, you know, Pan's Labyrinth came out. It's not like the next couple of years we saw a lot of, you know, Spanish speaking films kind of infiltrate our marketplace, nor is it like a, nor do I feel like English speaking films took a lot out of Pan's Labyrinth and said, Oh, we can use some of these influences. We can kind of take this and run with it kind of thing. Neither of those situations really happen. And that's so strange, you know, like, I don't know why that is. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, it, to your point, I think, you know, uh, their audiences are always kind of looking for something new and different. And every so often, uh, because, you know, uh, movies from you know, foreign countries, uh, they are so different. One will kind of just kind of capture the, the zeitgeist of the time. Right. And, mm. you know, we'll break through a little bit more, um, you know, your point about Pants Labyrinth, I think, is a, a really interesting one. You know, I'm a huge Guillermo del Toro fan. Um, and, you know, he sort of started with these smaller independent movies. And, you know, Kronos, his uh, very early vampire one. Um, and, you know, did Mimic in the studio system, which was just okay. And then went back to doing, you know, these great smaller movies. Um, you know, Devil's Backbone, uh, Pants Labyrinth. Um, and sort of continued to build up his cred to the point where, you know, he did Shape of Water, which is a studio movie, although in the independent vein, mm-hmm. and obviously was a, was a huge hit. Um, so, you know, maybe that's kind of the, the best that we can hope for here is, you know, these directors um, kind of dipping their toes, like with Stoker, like with Snowpiercer, um, mm-hmm. and kind of going back and forth, and then maybe eventually building up to have more of that uh, that credibility to have more of an influence on the market. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I think um, Guillermo del Toro definitely one of the many foreign language director filmmaker success stories that we've had. Uh, you know, he and uh, Alfonso Cuarón and and uh, oh the other one uh, Inaritu Alejandro Inaritu Inaritu all- yep. Yeah, they've all had great success uh, in in the states. Uh, you know, with not all of their movies, obviously, but but far more than most foreign filmmakers ever see. And I don't know. It, it's just I think it's part of it is being able to translate the films that they made outside of our country into films that can be made in our country. You know, Shape of Water definitely uh not a film that you would have kind of expected to win best picture or even be in the conversation for that matter and yet he's able to translate all of the things that his previous movies have been trying to hit on all the kind of connections he has with them into this beautiful uh you know romance really that that um was able to kind of transcend its subject matter transcend its origins and and connect with people who aren't from Mexico, who aren't mute, who weren't, aren't fishmen. Uh, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's not, you know, like not, you know, 
Ang Lee has been successful doing it, but a lot of the Korean directors specifically don't quite have that. You know, they haven't made that that leap and the ones that have attempted to it aren't always successful. Like Stoker, I I like Stoker, but like you said, I think it's a lesser Park Chan-wook movie. And that's, I don't know. Like, I think, you know, he, like Guillermo del Toro did the Hellboy movies. Um, he did Pacific Rim. He did Crimson Peak. Uh, he did Blade 2. You know, he had a lot of... Mm-hmm. English language movies mainstream um, yeah big mainstream movies yep. that whether or not you thought they were good whether or not they had critical or, or audience appeal uh, he had a lot of time to sort of test the waters on this audience and see what we responded to and uh, it's all about kind of getting the opportunity to have those attempts um, which I, I you know uh, Bong Joon-ho and Park yeah. Jun-wook definitely are going to have I those do opportunities wonder. sorry yeah no, I, I was just going to say, you know, as it pertains to the Korean directors, you know, we know, you know, from interviews, uh, Del Toro, you know, he's a humongous uh, movie buff, you know, mm-hmm. grew up, uh, you know, in, in thrall of Hollywood. Uh, and I don't know that that's necessarily the case for the Korean directors, um, where, you know, they're not necessarily trying to get to the point where they are internationally acclaimed uh, per se. Um, right. You know, the fact that we, we have gotten a couple uh, English language movies directed by Korean directors is a testament to the fact that their particular <laughs> unique voices are, are finding an audience here. Um, mm-hmm. But I would be at all surprised if they could take it or leave it in terms of whether they ever really wanted to do another uh, movie, English language movie or a movie within the studio system. Um and again, that goes back to some of what we were talking about before is, you know, how much do they have to give up um, in order to uh, to do something like that? Um, so it would be interesting, though, because it does seem, you know, where every so often a movie will break through from different countries. You know, we mentioned uh, Del Toro's work, uh, Amelie, um, uh, the, there was a German movie, um, uh, the one who's a wiretap. Um, oh, and it's killing um, me. The lives of others. Mm. Lives of others. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know that was another one that sort of uh, kind of uh, not quite to the same extent, sort of broke through. So I do expect that every so often we're going to see a certain movie from a certain country will kind of come up and and have that moment in the in the sunlight, um, and then audiences will sort of move on to the the next thing. So those of us who are Korean fans will probably just have to continued to uh, lurk about in the shadows and, and find right. our movies uh, uh, through streaming services that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which it's unfortunate, but if that's what it takes, I'm, I'm totally game to <laughs> keep up. Uh, yeah. Uh, is, is there anybody on your side? Uh, we haven't really touched on yet. Any movie from Korea you wanted to mention for sure. Uh, there is one other movie it was uh the same director as uh assassination um that he did uh, a movie back in 2012 called the thieves um which is uh, a heist movie um and uh it's sort of you know not not quite uh oceans 11 where it's not you know sort of they're all you know super cool 
Um, but it definitely it's this large group that's you know pulled together for a, for a heist. Uh, again, it's got some of that broad comedy aspect to it um, that uh, I really like. Um, and again, sort of going back to what we were saying, where you know. Uh, things uh, can be grim. Things don't work out for everybody who's part of the team either. Um, right. <laughs> so that's another one. If uh, if you haven't had a chance to see it, it's yeah, for probably the most popcorny of uh, any Korean movie uh, that I've watched uh, up to this point. Mm-hmm. But I think you know very uh, very effective at what it's trying to uh, accomplish. Um, so that one definitely uh, would uh, would recommend as well. Oh, neat! I'll add it to the list. Sounds excellent. Sounds wow. Exciting. I- I found a movie you haven't seen. <laughs> oh, plenty, plenty. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that sounds fun. That sounds, uh, yeah, I was a personally a little disappointed with what we got from Ocean's Eight. Um, as much mm-hmm. as I love the cast of it, but I would love to see the Korean version of Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> I think that sounds a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I won't have led you astray. But I, uh, I was realizing as I was uh, preparing for this, um, you know, life has a habit of getting in the way. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, I have completely fallen off. Um, I was looking at you know best of from 2017 in Korean cinema, and I realized I hadn't seen any of them. Um, oh, wow. So <laughs> I've got a, a lot of work uh, to me to catch up um, for uh, for some of those. I know uh, a taxi driver. Uh, from last year was uh, was really uh, well regarded, um, mm-hmm. so that's one in particular. Um, but uh, yeah, so I kind of have to uh, get off of my inertia and uh, and re up on uh, on my commitment here. Yeah, uh, there's a definitely a handful of 2017 movies I haven't seen that I've been looking forward to, and uh, I know like I'm I I do. Uh, awards episodes for every year and i've been working backwards uh since this podcast didn't start till 2016 and you know you gotta i don't know i wanted to recognize older movies so i'm going backwards every year and i get to so the next one will be 2013 and the first place i went to was like all right what korean movies didn't i see from this year you know what (laughs) what do they have to offer me that um i've seen 250 english-speaking movies from that year and I need something different. I want something that's going to be different from all that kind of stuff. And and Korean movies are definitely one of the places I go to first when I'm looking for that experience. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, So to that effect, though, uh, one of the first movies I watched uh, from a director, Lee Jun-ik, who is... uh, It's looking at the posters for the movies he's made, there are a lot of period pieces. <laughs> um, in fact, like more than half of them look like period pieces and swords and sandals types of movies. But the one mm-hmm. I watched from 2013 is called hope, which is very contemporary. And it is not, a, it actually was very surprising. It bucks the trend uh, that we've kind of already been talking about of this sort of beaten down protagonist who kind of just has all this crap thrown at him because he's flawed, because he, he has to kind of be put through the ringer. Not to say that our main characters in this movie 
don't go through a lot because they definitely do, Mm -hmm. but it never feels like they've earned that. Uh, You know, it never Mm -hmm. feels like, you know, like uh, I saw the devil or old boy. It never, at least in those movies, I'm like, okay, you've done some pretty bad things. So I can get why someone would want to like treat you this way. That's never the case in hope. Uh, It's a brutal movie and one that uh, really feels, uh, it it really explores this, the whole uh, sort of sexual assault angle from a very different Mm. point of view that I wasn't, that I, I, you know, I don't think the studio system would really want to explore, (laughs) to be honest. Uh, But (laughs) yeah, it's one that really, really hits home uh, if if you let it kind of get into you which I really appreciated. I really liked it. Mm. So I would mm. recommend yeah, that cool. one as well. I will definitely add that to my list for sure. Cool. Uh, that's kind of it. Those, that's, we pretty much touched on all the big Korean movies that I'd seen. There are plenty that I have on the list to see, but uh, those are most of the notable ones, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think... Uh, for those uh, who who are listening and who haven't had a chance to see them, you know, I think you'll know pretty quickly whether these are <laughs> your type of movies or not. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I, I know. Uh, I guess one thing in terms of me having fallen off in terms of not watching them that I am sort of looking forward to is the fact that I built up a little bit of a backlog, so I can uh, you mm. know kind of fill that uh, that empty place again. Um, so. Right. so yeah, I uh, you know, I definitely uh, recommend uh, those who uh, who haven't seen to, to spend the time and um, uh, see what uh, see what they've been missing. Yeah, I so like what I did before this, I went to Letterboxd and um, looking through all the movies I'd seen, just sorted them by uh, or not sorted, but uh, filtered them by production company, which or not company country to South Korea. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the host, old boy, memories of murder, etc. What was so what was striking, though, there's a handful of movies in here that not only would I not expect them to have been produced in South Korea, but it doesn't even make sense why they were produced in South Korea. Uh, So to give you a couple of examples, uh, both the nutjob movies were supposedly (laughs) produced in South Korea for some to some degree. Um. There's a handful of like other really really bad animated movies, like uh, this. There's one called The Reef, uh, Spark, A Space Tale, which I actually reviewed on my show two years ago. But a monkey, isn't it? Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, or uh, there's a movie that came out that same year called Bling, uh, which is just I don't know. There's some a handful of these movies that I was just really shocked to see that they had. South Korean production credits for whatever the reason may be. I don't know. So I guess our caveat is uh, uh, if it's animation, all bets are off, right? Yeah. Uh, The only, so there's a couple, I guess to kind of make sure that it's not a complete blanket statement to avoid their animated movies. Um, One, another one that I actually really, that I actually liked is called Yobi the Five-Tailed Fox, uh, which is Hmm. a, Korean animated film and uh, it's it's not I wouldn't put it in the same ballpark as something like Pixar for sure but definitely uh, not 
it's worth worth a look because I know you know animated movies over here are just like it's Disney, it's Pixar, and then there's everything else, right? And you know, outside of the United States, you've got like Studio Ghibli or um, Aardman Animation and stuff like that. But uh, there's so many. I, I I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big advocate for animated films, and I, I would love to just kind of you know check out you know, African animation and, and Australian animated films and all these other mm-hmm. European countries. And if you're going to Korea for animated films, my first stop would be Yobi, but I haven't seen a lot. So grain of salt. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, anything's better than the nut job. So has, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Definitely. <clears throat> awesome. Um, I don't know. Was there anything else you wanted to kind of touch on regarding Korean cinema? Uh, uh, no, I think uh, I think we really kind of we covered a, a pretty uh, uh, broad uh, broad uh, stripe of it. Um, you know, I I am intrigued to go back and and check out uh, Three Iron and Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, Spring. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, now that I sort of feel guilty for having you know <laughs> consciously. <laughs> And ignored them each time they've come up previously. So, um, yeah, uh, if nothing else, uh, today has been uh, a worthwhile lesson to not only <laughs> not, not always just look for the corrupt cop who's chasing the equally awful villain uh, right. and right. Um, find the, something else of uh, of Korean vintage to uh, to appreciate. Yeah, uh, I guess to that point, um, of all of them, what's your favorite? Korean film. Oof. Um, if you had to pick, well, all right. If uh, I'm going to leave Old Boy out of it, just because uh, it is the uh, sort of the it was the first, but also you know uh, sticks with me so much. But I think um, Bong Joon Ho's uh, Mother, uh, I think, is probably my other favorite, um, and it's very different. You know. Uh, Snowpiercer and Okja and the host uh, all, you know, have some genre uh, element associated with them. Um, mm. Whereas Mother is much more of a of a straightforward tale. Um, you know, where uh, in the just to do it really quick the summary, um, the main character, the mother in question, is trying to protect her son who's been uh, accused of a murder. Uh, and he's uh, a simpleton, for lack of a better word, um, and just sort of the steps that she goes through to, um, you know, try and protect him, um, and then you know coming to realize what has actually happened. Um, and it was a very touching movie um, that you know after because I had watched the host first and I'd seen some Snowpiercer and then I'd seen Mother on the list uh, as one of those ones that I should watch. So. Uh, I was like, all right, well, I'll check that one out. And it was just so tonally different, I guess, uh-huh. uh, from what I had come to expect that uh, I think it really kind of sat with me uh, a little more strongly in comparison. Okay. Nice. I, I'll yeah. move that one to the top of the queue in that sense, in that case. Okay. Awesome. Excellent. I'm glad to have a couple more films on the list of <laughs> stuff to watch for sure. <laughs> Great. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate uh, being able to talk uh, talk Korean cinema with you today. Yeah, thanks so much, Adam. I appreciate you helping me out with this. Uh, 
you know, it's, it's, um, made things a lot easier for me because <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was on vacation to Brazil about a month ago and pretty much was in the same circumstance. I had to find six, seven episodes worth of material to record before I left. And at that, in that situation, I ended up doing it all by myself. Uh, and I felt like I was really stretching some of my film topics and, and some of the stuff I was talking about, but uh, this process this time was was much more enjoyable and, and I've had a great time doing it great well thank you and uh, we'll uh, we'll be talking movies again before too long yeah we certainly will uh, uh, I guess last thing before you go is uh, if there was anything you wanted to plug or anything like that I don't know if you have any side ventures, but <laughs> so I'll give you the opportunity. I uh, I, I don't. I, I uh, <laughs> as much as uh, as I love movies and I love playing uh, fantasy movie league. Um, I have no time between family and <laughs> and my real job to actually have any other side ventures <laughs> that okay. I can promote. Uh, so this was a really nice outlet where I could uh, glom onto somebody else's side venture and get a little bit of time with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I get it. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks one more time and uh, appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day. All right. You too. Thanks. See ya. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode uh, today and really, really try to, if you've never seen any Korean films, definitely check one or two out. Uh, you'll know from the first, like, like we said, you, you'll know from the beginning if if they're for you. Uh, thanks for listening. And if you want to check out other episodes, other stuff related to the podcast, head over to circleoffilm.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at circleoffilm or email circleoffilm at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash circleoffilm for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you. And as always, have a week. So long, I know she'll never leave me Even as she fades from view So long, farewell, I'll be to Saint Edgier In the name of love One night in the name of love So long, farewell, oh, I'll be to Saint Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute So long